and gentlemen, it's Mr. James O'Brien. Thank you, Nick Revel. Thank you very much. And uh, good evening. Welcome to the Phoenix in Cavendish Square for No Pressure to Be Funny, the topical show which prides itself on having its finger on the pulse and always being one step ahead of the news, which is why we decided to start this month's show half an hour early so we could all watch the England game afterwards. <laughs> Talking of the World Cup, Ed Miliband, of course, has made some absolutely brilliant PR moves recently, having himself photographed with the sun, holding up a copy of the sun to associate himself with England's triumphant campaign. Well done, Ed. And, uh, and I'm sure the World Cup will give us plenty more to chew on later, so let's move on. Chew on later. Chew on. Did you see the defence? Did you see the, uh, the, the Suarez defence? If you're trying to write jokes for an evening like this, which, which Nick Revel does, that's people who didn't laugh at the last one, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> it you're trying to write jokes for an evening like this and Luis Suarez puts forward his official defence. Admittedly in translation, it might be like the Quran. Maybe if you read it in the original, it wouldn't be quite so controversial. But the... Uh, the, the line that he put forward was, uh, I sort of distilled down to essentially, I, I lost my balance and put my teeth out to steady myself. <laughs> and you sort of think, well, you can't, that's, that's beyond satire. There's nothing you can do with that. So anyway, there'll be plenty more to chew on later. <laughs> Iran and the United States of America are now both sending military assistance to the Iraqi government and Russia uh, this weekend, provided five jet fighters. So you, you can say what you like about ISIS. They are truly bringing the world together at the moment. Um, and I guess we shouldn't be so surprised at that. After all, this has been a week in which you would have been able to use the phrase Tony Blair, Middle East Peace Envoy, or Rebecca Brooks, officially not a criminal. <laughs> I might have read that wrong. I think it, it might be Rebecca Brooks, officially... Not a criminal. <laughs> and, uh, and, of course, FIFA also can take a decision based partly on moral ground. So it's fair to say that we live in a world where anything can happen. But I know what is going to happen here next. And in, in the, the years now that we've been doing this together, few things give me more joy than an opportunity to welcome back one of our regular guests to the stage. One whose many credits include writing the music for the alternative cricket commentary show Test Match Sofa. And after England's recent performances, he probably spends quite a lot of time hiding behind it too. So please join me in welcoming to the stage, ladies and gentlemen, James Sherwood. My name's Luis Suarez, and everybody says I have disgraced the World Cup with my biting. But it is my belief that when I show my teeth, it only makes the matches more exciting. After my supposed crime, I have four months of spare time. I, I can't do football things or visit football places. I'm public enemy number one. What am I supposed to have done apart from eating other players and being racist? Now I'm out of the World Cup, I have my lifestyle to keep up, but no well-paid football games with which to fund it. So I offer my expertise to any TV companies who are after quite a different kind of pundits. 
All these so-called experts say how they think that we should play and how this World Cup is one to savour. Well, I've tasted the atmosphere, I've smelt the players' fear. I can give a much more accurate flavour. The Spanish are quite fishy, Argentinians taste of steak. Iran are like a Kit Kat, pretty good on a break. Germans taste so much like sausage, is all Australia can do not to take them all straight home and throw them on the barbecue. Mexicans are hot, the Russians not, the Belgians are like the Dutch. The French are just delicious, though the garlic gets too much. The Swiss all smell of cheese and their defence is full of holes. I love to nibble a Nigerian when I'm not scoring goals, but Italians, they're the most delicious in the whole World Cup. An Italian Maybe with a little garlic bread To mop him up The Italians They are so yummy I could put them on my plate The Italians Oh, when I see them all I start to salivate Ole, Japan and South Korea, they make small and tasty men, but then half an hour later you just want to play again. I like a healthy pinch of chili, but not too much of grease. I find the problem with Brazilians is they get stuck in your teeth. Slow roast a Costa Rican, you can eat him with a spoon, or Ecuadorian, Colombian, or a chap from Cameroon. Algeria, Honduras, Portugal, and Ivory Coast, I could turn into pate and have them spread on Melba toast. Ghanaians and Croatians should be stewed on the bone. If you can't finish an American, they let you take him home. I love the English wine when you're giving them a kick in. Bosnia Herzegovinans, now they just taste of chicken. But Italians, they are the most al dente of all teams. The Italians, washed down with their Chianti and Feva beans. The Azzurri, oh, I can eat them till my stomach starts to ache. Chiellini, just like my mother used to make. Ole. James Sherwood, ladies and gentlemen. James Sherwood. Now, it's time to meet our panel. Tom Levitt was uh, elected Labour MP for High Peak in 1997, which is also where Tony Blair's popularity was at the time. <laughs> Tom left Parliament in 2010. Tony left Planet Earth more recently. <laughs> uh, comedian, writer and actor Bob Mills has been in everything from Doctor Who to In Bed With Me Dinner, which younger listeners should know was a TV show rather than an ambition. <laughs> Ashling B is a comedian and actress who won the prestigious So You Think You're Funny title in 2012. Her website lists so many credits um, since then that we've decided to ignore them all and instead celebrate the fact that her mother is a retired professional flat race jockey um, because we're really bored of reading out credits. <laughs> Liam, Liam Malone is a comedian described by The Guardian as unheralded but hugely talented. She's sort of conveniently forgetting on the part of whatever journalist that wrote that that the main reason for our existence is, is of course, to herald things. So, well done. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, your panel. Uh, 
many of you will know that at this stage in proceedings, Alistair Barry, our co-conspirator, normally introduces uh, the devil's advocate to get the first topic off the ground, but he is, he is performing in Brighton tonight, which sounds like a euphemism, but, but, <laughs> but, but isn't. Uh, so as a result, we're just going to take a, take a bite out of the apple of news and go straight into our first topic. Uh, Bob Mills, are you part of the British media's vendetta against Luis Suarez? Not at all. I'm a, big, a huge fan of Suarez. I think everything he does to bring Liverpool Football Club crumbling to its knees <laughs> is to be applauded. It's, it's, uh, 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 Luis Suarez is just... I don't know, if someone walked up to you in a pub and punched you in the face, you'd think, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe there's a reason for that. There, was, there is some history, maybe I should... And you, you, you might try and maybe not turn the other cheek, but at least... Think, but the third time someone came up to you and punched you in your face, mm. you'd think, this guy's a nutter, something needs to be done. He's got the longest list of form. He's, Luis Suarez is like one of those people in 1970s cop programmes that used to be pulled in, and someone used to say, I've just been looking at your sheet, mate. And you think, dun, dun, dun. Because <laughs> he's got form. He's, he's, this, isn't, this is really difficult for some people who don't understand football to believe when you say... Luis Suarez is a professional footballer, and he got in, in, in the course of a football game, he bit another professional footballer. Yes. They think that's terrible, but then you have to say again and again because <laughs> he's done it three times it's on record. He did the guy Lewis. when he was at Ajax. He yes, did the guy right, at Ajax, yeah. and then he did Ivanovic, uh, the Chelsea player, when he was a thing. And now he's done this. And in between that, it's not as even as if he specialised. In between that, he's been a racist. Yes, he has. So he's, if nothing else, he's a renaissance man. Exactly. <laughs> I'll try a little bit of everything. I've tried the racism. It was all right, but to be honest, I was playing in the northwest of England. I didn't feel special. <laughs> so I've got a little niche for myself. It was quite an astonishing defence uh, that, that he came out with. Not, not the one I mentioned earlier about uh, I was falling over, so I put my teeth out to steady myself. But the idea that the, idea that the only reason that the World Cup had sort of gone nuts over this bite was because of the British media creating this appalling atmosphere of persecution. So, so for a minute, I did actually, because we've been so down on journalists lately in, uh, in this country, I did, I did for a minute wonder if he had a point. I just thought, well, really? I mean, he bit someone. Maybe, maybe we've made a real fuss about this in Britain, and yeah. now that he's done it in Brazil on the world stage, we'll get an idea of what other people think about football players Well, there, there, was a, there was an interview with his captain, which, which, who was very, very clear in the idea yes. that it wasn't his fault. It was, uh, and, and if you listen to it without the translation, it, it's, it, you know, it's salutary to him, because it's like, And you think, Yes. My it's only fear for it is that if the next time he bites someone, it could be a child, and will he all go, oh, we should have put him down this when is we... <laughs> <laughs> Nobody learned a lesson. We should have known this time was a little girl. Well, it's been calculated, James, that uh, Suarez has played 6,000 other professionals during his life on, on the professional football field, which means that your chance of being bitten by Luis Suarez is one in 2,000. <laughs> And your, your chance of being hit by lightning in your lifetime is only one in 10,000. So you're, you're five times more likely to be bitten by Luis Suarez than you are to be hit by lightning. Or, or eaten by a shark, I think. I think Indeed. you're more likely to be bitten by a shark than you are, by Luis Suarez than you are by a shark. It's interesting, though, because I, I, everyone, hopefully, in the audience will know, but for the people on the podcast are listening, is uh, I am a woman, just in case, because they can't, they can't see me. Um, and we're prove always it. told, prove it. <laughs> Here we go. So I got this far. Um, <laughs> But, uh, 
just the one. The one keeps you keeps your ladylike status. Um, but it, it, as a lady, you're always taught how to dress from yourself and to draw the attention away from your bad points. And it's like he hasn't learned how to draw attention away from his bad points because obviously he's got very dominant Do teeth. Do you still like, get taught that stuff? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? How to like like a, the a whole Trini and Susanna legacy kind of like you know dress down, don't use horizontal stripes, use vertical stripes to make it look like you're sort of. <laughs> Uh, very Ladies slim. and gentlemen, Bob Mills. In a, in a yeah. <laughs> you Cover yourself with anchors if you want to look like a sailor, perhaps. Um, but but yeah, like he should draw, te- like he should have kicked him in the head, and then people were like, "Oh, Louis Suarez's foot," and he'd be like, "Finally, a break from my teeth." <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's just funny though, Liam, isn't it? Uh, the, 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 uh, no, we take it all very seriously, and it was right that he was banned. But there's something so. Uh, effortlessly infantile about biting someone out of frustration that you can't help but chuckle. Can I, can I just say uh, from the beginning that I don't know anything about football? No, but I just, biting, is, I just biting is a familiar <laughs> concept. I just wish yeah. it would be over. Well, I... I <laughs> Between, Are you on a juice diet? Bet, between the World Cup and Glastonbury, I just feel like the BBC is spit-roasting me between two groups of boring rich people. I, 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 I don't care. I, I wish there was more biting, frankly. I, I would find the games more interesting. It was just, that's pretty much yeah. all I've got. All right. Yeah. More. more. Uh, except, like, th- well, what I hate about it is we've got to do it all again in four years, and it's like... <laughs> football is never over, is it? It's never... Can't, can't we just say, right, whoever wins this on the FA Cup or the Forever. Premier... Can we just say, that's it now, you've won football. That's... <laughs> We're not going to do any more. Uh, would you? I, I, I sense this is a rhetorical question, but you wouldn't feel any differently if the English involvement had been longer. I would try and get on some sort of nationalist bandwagon and, uh, and become, be photographed mild, with become mildly racist along with everyone else. But no, I, no, not really. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that it's we, we, we were disappointed early this time because. When, you, when it goes on for a bit longer and you invest so much of your soul into it, it it's just hurts more, doesn't it? It's like when you've almost adopted a baby and then they go, nope, sorry, going to someone else. Go on yes, to yeah. but it's like a relationship that didn't work after two dates and it's fine. It's, mm. it's not going to haunt your memories, is it? You're not going to wake up in the middle of the night going, no. It's just, uh, <laughs> Let it's it go. over, it's finished. I was annoyed when they said, now England are staring into the abyss. And by the abyss, they meant going home to a massive mock Tudor mansion <laughs> and a supermodel <laughs> wife. Any of that? We are. The, the, there are abysses and there are abysses, aren't there? <laughs> There's one aspect of the um, Suarez affair which I don't really understand, and that is that apart from the ban, he's been fined 60,000 Swiss francs, which is about 25,000 quid, which is about 10 minutes' appearance fee for him. Uh, he's also lost his uh, uh, long-standing, I think, three weeks he'd been with this particular poker firm, and they're milking it for all they can, for all the publicity, and Adidas won't be using him in their adverts anymore, but they'll still be paying him the sponsor fee. I mean, this is... Uh, Why Swiss francs? Why do they... Because it's FIFA and they're based in And they're based in Swiss. Oh, it's all Nazi yeah. gold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Football's based entirely on Nazi gold. Don't, 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 don't understand that for a second. Yeah. But these are the people who are the idiots in all this. If you're a marketing man yeah. and you work for a company called 888, oh, don't give them the publicity. and your spokesperson <laughs> is a prominent footballer who's bitten three other footballers, <laughs> you're sitting on a gold mine. 
<laughs> took a while there, Bob. You'd Sorry. never let that go, would you? <laughs> All you'd say is, don't bite anyone else up, we'll have to change our names, and that takes time. Speaking of money, Tom, I, I, know, I know you've been in Brazil recently, um, and uh, there was a lot of talk in the run-up to the tournament of the... Uh, well, the imbalance, really, and the unhappiness among the sort of rank-and-file Brazilians about the money being spent on this big party when they were all very poor. Now, I, I, it could be that, of course, the protests simply haven't been filmed as much or, or haven't reached our ears as much, but it didn't seem necessarily to... It seems to be going quite well. I mean, it does seem to have brought the country together rather than necessarily driven the rich further from the poor. Well, I was in Brazil for two weeks, and I came home on the day that the England More than team... the England team. Right, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I came home on the day the England team flew in, just to avoid any embarrassing mm. being called up into the squad. Yeah, oh, well done. Like <laughs> but, uh, Actually, you joke, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yes, I, mean, I thought at the time, as soon as the football starts, and as long as Brazil aren't in, out in the first round, the, these demonstrations and, and strikes are going to end. And as far as I can tell, they did. Um, I mean, Brazil is... Oops. <gasps> <Ooh>. <laughs> it's something I said. Yeah. <laughs> God don't like that. <laughs> wow. uh, I'm, I've got absolutely no fucking idea what to do now. So, but you don't, I don't know why everyone's looking at me, expecting me to get all hosty and organised and, uh, and, and in charge. For the benefit of podcast listeners, the lights have gone out. Does anyone require... We'll just carry on. Oh, sort of, this fuck is nice for that. Crazy. I thought that tumour had kicked in again. <laughs> <laughs> oh... <laughs> you, 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 you were there to um, uh, researching. Well, no, you're shit. Both. There's an audience. <laughs> I just <laughs> saw that. Like, aren't they young and attractive? Thank you for coming down. Um, the, the, the poverty compares to other countries. I mean, it is pretty shocking in Brazil. The, the situation. The, the, you can buy cocaine for two pounds a gram in some of the favelas. Can you? How do you know that? Apparently, I read it somewhere. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah. what, that, what were you doing out there? That, well, that wasn't why, is that why, why I was you were there. there. No, I was <laughs> investigating uh, social enterprise, looking at different models. But yeah, that, that uh, works. Yeah, that's Sorry, still not still two pounds. Two pounds. <laughs> 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 different models of service delivery. I'm sorry. Yeah, that works. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you have to be very careful because sometimes it's not until you get back to the hotel you realise what the service delivery is. Well, this is true. This, this is true. But yeah, I, I've been around uh, slums in India. I've been around slums in Brazil, and quite frankly, in Brazil, the people look healthy. They're dressed better. They're occupied. Uh, and this is like slum trip advisor. The. But the real difference... Five stars. The real issue in Brazil is the inequality, because it's the seventh richest country in the world, and, uh, yes, you have got close to abject poverty. In the, in what do you mean by occupied? The people are occupied. What I mean is they're not hanging around on, on street corners doing nothing as they appear to be when you, you go around a country like India, and someone's there. There's closer to full employment, even although the, the grey economy probably accounts for quite a lot of that. Mm. What's the best? If you've been, what's the creme de la creme of the slum world? Yeah, which is best for a gap year? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a Channel Five documentary? I was thinking actually. <laughs> yeah, I think um, probably we'll all ought to club together and send me back there to go and find yeah. out. Just <laughs> some poor English student. I, oh my god, I just can't believe how slow the broadband is here. <laughs> really, like it's taking me ten minutes to watch a four-minute YouTube. When you talk of inequality, Tom, this notion of, of Brazil being the seventh richest country in the world, and yet the abject <coughs> poverty remains, that, that when you compare it to India, you, you're sort of saying it's, the gap is, is, is bigger in Brazil. Is that right? 
Well, in a sense, because um, Sao Paulo is shortly going to become the third richest city in the world. How does that, what does yet, that mean? Sorry, well, It means be. when you look out your hotel window, every building has a helipad on top of it. Really? Uh, but when you go 20 minutes out on the underground, you're, you're into the slums, which are uh, depressing places, but not as depressing as Indian ones, as no. I say. Where do we yeah, come? That's a, that's 20 minutes on the central line, you're in Braintree. <laughs> <laughs> Although, isn't that, someone did a calculation, I think it was the Jubilee line rather than the Central line, where life expectancy, even in, in a city like London, yeah. go, goes down with each stop heading eastwards, I think. Yeah. Or, yeah. So it, anyone my heading home once, tonight has got a cheery journey. My friend once <laughs> said to me, she's like, it's kind of like the further you go outside of London, the uglier people get. And I was like, hey, I, don't really, I don't really think that's a great way to view <laughs> travelling to Zone 3, Millie, to be honest. But it's interesting to see that people just, I think... People want leisure and entertainment more than they want to have a social conscience. And like Brazil, the problems in Brazil are huge. People are going, we're going to do a panorama on the child prostitution there. It's absolutely terrible. Here's the news. In Qatar, the whole place is absolutely going to be built on slave labor. Yes, and people are like, oh, 12 years of slave wasn't it? Absolutely desperate, the things that went on. Mm. Qatar is completely and utterly built on pure slave labor. They don't get water, toilet breaks, they don't get anything. And we sit there and we go, Oh my God, that is absolutely terrible. I can't. Isn't football great the way it brings everyone together? Four years of tedious build up to make yeah. those programs, though, haven't we? Actually, yeah. so, so on a slightly it's more the same serious. In, in Brazil. Uh, on a slightly more serious note, mm. the, the, you're right, <laughs> slave labour and child prostitution and all these things. <laughs> the, these are very dark things. The only way that one can ever get rid of the darkness is to shine a light on it. Yeah. And by going out there, I really think that Phil Neville, Gary Lineker, and Aaron Shearer. <laughs> Can help it. I really do. They really can. I think know. they can. I think they will go out there and they will see the the state of the country and they'll come back and they'll, and they'll instigate certain measures. They will, and you can see it in their in their deadpan eyes as they're delivering their boring performances on the <laughs> BBC. Totally dead Those lads have been really affected by what they've seen. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to bring Nick Revel back to the stage with your permission, ladies and gentlemen. I, I'm not quite sure what he has prepared for your delight, but I'm I'm certain. I'm certain that we won't regret clapping him back into the room. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Revel. Thank you. Do this by torchlight. Um, apparently, we've heard from the management that what's happened is a, apparently a, a Uruguayan footballer has chewed through the cables <laughs> in the lighting box. So that's, that's what's happened there. Okay, uh, well, uh, <laughs> Jeremy Paxman. Retired from Newsnight uh, and immediately started slagging off everybody who works on the programme. Uh, and he also declared himself a, a one-nation Tory, which confused me and shows me that he knows a little less about politics than we assume. Because think what you like about one-nation Tories, at least they have basic, decent, good manners. Well, he went on to say that anyone who thinks they can change the world is on a fool's errand. In which case, proud to be foolish. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. I've been reading a lot about uh, neoclassical economics recently with, with a view to turning it into a zinging 10-minute stand-up <laughs> routine. And, uh, and I think I've failed. But, um, but what, what made me do it was I, I came across a statistic uh, that the richest 85 people on the planet at the moment are as wealthy as the poorest 3.5 billion people on the planet. That's the poorest 50%. And I know I've mentioned that before in one of my monologues, but it really bears repeating 85 people as rich as the poorest 50%. Um, and uh, if you talk to a neoclassical e economist, they'll say, well, yes, 
It's sad, but that's, that's economics. You, you can't change it. You have to live in the real world. We're all greedy and selfish, and the way to get wealth to the poor is to let the market operate without regulation, and our, all our greedy, self-interested economic activity will then create more and more wealth, and eventually it will trickle down from the rich to the poor. Uh, and the proof of how successfully uh, that trickle-down theory has been working is that now on this planet, 85 people have as much wealth as the poorest 3.5 billion. Um, but the thing is, uh, for everyone on the planet to have the same standard of living as us in the developed world, we would need the resources of about eight planets. Uh, and, and unless I've missed a couple of NASA press statements, uh, I don't believe that that's going to be happening uh, anytime soon. And that means that... Uh, for the neoclassical economic model of the real world to keep working successfully, uh, and I'm using successfully there in the same way that Rebecca Brooks uses the words vindicated. Um, <laughs> for, 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 for the poor of the undeveloped world have to stay poor permanently for, our to enjo for us to enjoy our standard of living. Now, the really important thing here, don't tell any of the third world poor that. Because if they find out, I reckon they might be a little pissed off. Uh, and one advantage that they have, being poor and desperate, is that they have nothing to lose. And that means they don't have to submit to the rules of the real world as described by neoclassical economics. And as far as I can see it, more and more of them will turn to violence just to survive. And who, who can blame them, frankly? And if you're white and you have shoes, you're a target. We have nothing. So now we embrace the Allah of Jihad. Yes, he is merely our imaginary friend. And his rules visit violence and destruction upon you. What is the market but your imaginary friend whose rules visit destruction upon us? We do not wish to do this, or more of us would have done it sooner. What choice do you leave us? And just to show that I mean you no ill will personally, here is a friendly word of advice. Buy shares in Kalashnikov. <laughs> My point is, Jeremy, if we don't start changing the world, someone else will. But now, after all that heavy stuff, please come with me now on a little recuperative excursion to Tuscany, favoured holiday destination of the One Nation Tory, and specifically to Florence in the 13th century, where effectively the capitalist system begins. Boom in the textile industry, making lots of merchants in Florence very rich and getting paid in gold. The sheep see none of it. They're the original wealth creators. Do you see a pattern developing? <laughs> the merchants are worried about their gold being stolen by thieves. So they entrust their gold to goldsmiths because goldsmiths have strong rooms. And the goldsmiths become bankers. People entrusted their money to bankers for fear of thieves. That's how banks were invented. And also, irony. <laughs> <laughs> the next two developments, fractional reserve banking. They have 100 gold pieces in their strong room. They start issuing banknotes at a rate of interest, lending them out, saying, this is worth 10 gold pieces. If you come back to the bank, you can get your 10 gold pieces. And they hit on the idea that they can issue notes for more gold pieces than they actually have in their strong room, provided not everybody comes back at the time to get their 10 gold pieces. So you could have a 1,000 banknote, 1,000 gold pieces represented in banknotes for 100 in the bank. And that works perfectly, as, even if people understand the system and they know it's happening, as long as not everybody goes back at the same time, it all works. So what I'm saying is the system is a figment of the imagination. 
Faith that money doesn't literally that faith that money that doesn't literally exist except as a mutual agreement in people's heads is actually worth something and it works fine. The reality is partly in the vault, but mainly in people's heads. The other thing that happens, right? Christians start lending money at interest. Just one problem: money lending is condemned by the Bible, so you go to hell for it. So it's a tough moral choice for these Christian money lenders: earn a lot of money but burn in hell for eternity. Mm. So to keep God sweet, what they do, they finesse the different definition of usury and they find a loophole. They say, we're not making money on the loan here. We're just taking expenses incurred in the administration of the loan. This is not hellfire and damnation evasion. It's simply hellfire and damnation avoidance. <laughs> they reworked the small print of God's word to defy God who was pretty big at the time. <laughs> and I say this, if you can do that, use the ingenuity of the human mind to change the system of the God they believed in just to suit their own business leads, that needs, then I would say we can change pretty much anything if we put our minds to it. Because it's all a product of the human imagination. Trying, the, trying to change the world might be a fool's errand, Jeremy. And scoffing at those who try is a prick's prerogative. Oh, and by the way, Jeremy, our final abiding image of your 25 years on Newsnight is you on the back of a tandem with your nose up Boris Johnson's ass. Thank you very much and good night. Nick Revel, ladies and gentlemen, Nick Revel. Nick, Nick's taking uh, the, the, the show he was referring to, actually, uh, the, the, the stuff that looks in even more depth at neoclassical economics up to Edinburgh this August. For, you'll be there for the whole month, so um, if you get the chance to come along, you absolutely must. I'll buy you a drink. I intend to be there more than once. So I won't buy you a drink. That was a figure of speech. <laughs> Scotland, eh? When in Rome. Uh, <laughs> um, turning to economic matters closer to home, the, the, the big story this week that, that has excited a lot of people on, on the, actually knitting together a lot of what Nick said, a lot of top, what Tom was saying about inequality, that this Wonga story. Does, does anyone want to have a pop at explaining what the Wonga story <laughs> is for, for, for the benefit of the tape? Tom? Yes. Um, basically, they've been sending out threatening letters to their own customers, pretending that they come from lawyers, uh, which is in itself uh, an offence, uh, and uh, putting the shits at them, uh, <laughs> uh, essentially. It's not very and, parliamentary. Um, is that what it said in the letter? We are putting the shits at you. And press lawyerscompany.com. Interestingly, if, the, uh, if, if Wonga was, uh, was fined mm. on, its, uh, on, on its own repayments of compensation, given... Put it this way, if all of the loans they got back through that method mm. uh, were done wrongly and they then had to compensate people, it's been worked out that at Wonga's rate of interest, this would be £200 billion that Wonga would now owe to, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in, That's right. in uh, percentage uh, interest, which uh, just gives you an idea of the huge figures of usury w which they, uh, uh, they're actually involved in. And... Do they not? Do, I, do, I don't know whether this is true or not. I don't have much experience of, of the, uh, the either sort of legal loan sharking or bailiffs, thankfully. But I, I think a lot of companies have a kind of in-house pretend legal arm. They send the letters. They just don't send the letters out on their own um, stationery. They send it out on a kind of you know 
grab it and sue lawyers? Well, it's not just companies, because this week, I believe, the student loan company has been found to have been doing the same thing. And the fictitious name uh, they came up with uh, actually had the initials SLC, so it wasn't too difficult to see through it. And, um, I love to just they called it windupyourknickers.com or something. <laughs> <laughs> How bad is it, Liam, this? Because people owe money, and the person to whom the money is owed is you know, not breaking their legs or anything. He's sending a legal letter just describing the legal situation, albeit not from the perspective of a legal professional. I, just, I mean, listening to Nick's brilliant monologue, this is a classic example where they'll say it's a free market. We're not necessarily breaking any moral laws. Well, I, I have ignored a vast number of real solicitors' letters, <laughs> so I don't <laughs> understand how frightening it is to get a... A, a fake one, but uh, <laughs> I, I, the, the thing about Wonga that no one really talks about is why why they've become so big, or mm. why mm. why you know payday loan shops and and things like and pawn shops are just springing up all over um, the country, and and I think one of the main reasons is you know the, it's the same reason why Las Vegas has more pawn shops than than any other city in the world, and it's because it has unregulated gambling. And since uh, the last Labour government unregulated gambling in this country, the amount of money spent on gambling has gone up six times. And it's poor people who gamble. That's just the fucking truth I of the matter. I don't think it's just gambling, though. It's, it's not just gambling, it's but it's ma- if you, if you have unregulated gambling, then you will, you will get companies like Wonga just springing up like maggots in cheese or or student reviewers at arts festivals. <laughs> it's, just, it's just what will happen. Like... It, and, and, and no one ever talks about that. Well, uh, sorry, I think what they did, whatever the reasons for the debt, there are high levels of debt. And, that, and what they do is they filled a vacuum. I'm probably maybe a bit older than some people in the audience. <laughs> there, were three, there, were three, there were three stages in, in this country. There was the, the battle, those were the 20s and 30s, where if you wanted money, you went to a loan shark, and they were quite unashamedly called that. They were all big grifty geezers, and you had to pay them vast amounts of interest, and if you didn't pay it, they came around and they gave you a good hiding. That was violence. It, was, it wasn't a pretend good hiding. It was a real good hiding. And now we have uh, firms like Wonga that, that have extortionate interest. Well, they have extortionate interest if you don't pay when you're supposed to pay, which is their equivalent of breaking your legs. Mm. Now, in between that, there was this strange period in the 1960s and 1970s when there was a completely... And young people won't believe oh. this... When if you were working on a salary or a weekly wage, if you were a bit short on the Wednesday, you did something quite remarkable. You went to see someone who was called uh, a bank manager. <laughs> and you said to him, or the guy behind the counter, listen, uh, me wages ain't frugal Thursday, but I've got to pay this cheque for a few quid. Would you fund it? And he turned around to someone, had a little chat, and then came back and said, yeah, that's all right, go on then. And it was like a magical world. (laughs) (laughs) But the whole point of banks used to be that they'd be like a parental figure in society. So they go, now I'm going to give you this much now, but I want it back, and I do want it back, and there's going to be repercussions. And then the banks turned into Wonga.com. So the Wonga situation is essentially what happened in Ireland. The banks started giving out free money. And if you've a a group of people who are being uh, sold consumerism like we were in Ireland, we're really rich, have everything, Mm. bought a new house, every room should be done up straight away. No point waiting for your house to be done up when it can be done up now. Here's some free money, here's some free money, here's some free money. And there's a sort of shame in, in, in being poor now or being in any way uh, meticulous about your money because we should all try and aspire towards having mm. lots. And so Wanga, they do that. They go, 
don't save, just get the free money and, and look after yourself. And all the ads are sort of women going around with kind of shopping bags going, oh, I'm going to spend all my money. I'm not going to spend all my money. Going to go and get a top. I'll spend all my money. One is my best friend, you love me, Sam. And mm. it's this sort of kind of selling this idea of like, it's only a little bit of a loan. It's become very expensive to be poor because the fact is, mm. if you're on a basic bank account, uh, then you're not allowed access to cash machines which you can use for free. Yeah. You pay for your cash machines. Mm. The cash machines on deprived estates tend to be those that charge you pound fifty every time you take money out. Mm. And on those uh, accounts, you're not allowed to put up direct debits, and so therefore you can't get your council tax cheap. And in fact, you can't either buy online with them as well. So you mm. miss out on lots of deals that way. So if you are poor you have to pay an awful lot for the privilege. Even and on a, there are, you know, the banks don't it, have it right. You'll also have a pay-as-you-go phone, of course. Yeah. Mm. And, and most of your conversations will just be about nothing. <laughs> if you're poor. I'm, I'm just trying to stir it up a bit. I thought <laughs> oh, <okay>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're still key. poor. Yeah, I'm still pretty poor. Oh, listen, I have to go on my credits run out. Bye. <laughs> I'm 30 now, and when I was <laughs> 22, I know. Ho- by the way, for Hollywood reasons, I'm 14. Um, for... But I, um, when I was about 20, I, I left Ireland when I was 22 or 23, and that was only seven, seven, eight years ago. And when I was leaving, I had friends who were 22 who were starting their own building companies and who had bought houses. They'd been given mortgages, and, yeah. were bought, and I'd, I was so silly to go over and follow some like wacky hippie dream. And now they are all Bank giving their banks have the banks have taken their houses. And these beautiful four-bedroom houses, people who were 23, 24, 25, had their own businesses, and they were buying houses. And a lot of them had left school at 16 or 17, had trades, were builders, and they have their own houses. And now they're all repossessed, living back with their parents, and are in courses, gone back to education if they can. But that's, they were just giving out free money. But there was no, there was no social thing of save and reward. No, because you, I, you believed no. you were good for the money if a bank, if an institution gave it to you. Yeah. But, but what we didn't realise is that they were sort of doing it for slightly more complicated reasons. It, it occurs to me that we've, uh, we've dominated the conversation in, in the first half of the show. Um, so in the second half, I'd like everyone in the audience to, to join in. Um, you don't have to reveal your age. But, uh, <laughs> but it would help. But if you feel it's pertinent, and I, I, I won't censor anything. Uh, I'm 36 quest- and I don't have a boyfriend yet. Right, sorry. OK. Question- so, so, I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm, I'm interfering. I'm jumping into your link, but no, I just... Uh, sorry, there is one other point, because we've been very serious. And, no, get uh, it out. Right. Go on. Let me just say, most of the people who borrowed money off Wonga, right, aren't affected by these letters at all. There's a tiny percent who've been really frightened and upset, yeah. and for that, Wonga should be punished. But I know people who've got loans off Wonga. They ain't opening letters, all right? <laughs> <laughs> I promise you that. OK? It's a very good point. Um... So in, in the second half, during the interval, there'll be papers and pens on the bar and on the table over there. Anything that you'd like to pick up on that has happened in the first half or anything you'd like to suggest for discussion in the second half, anything at all. Uh, and that's it, I think, for the first half. Just join me, please, in thanking James Sherwood. will be back in the panel and me. Cheers. Please welcome back to the stage your host, Mr. James O'Brien. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, thank you. And welcome back to No Pressure to Be Funny. I I thank you for your efforts. Uh, Quantity, high. Quality, 
Not, 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 not so high. Um, <laughs> I, I'll go through these randomly, and then if you want to show any appreciation for any of them, then uh, we shall return to them soonest. Uh, do the panel think that Cameron's battle with the EU is genuine, or is he being a political windsock and pandering to the UKIP types? That's from Wayne Lynch, 32, Wonga customer, birthday on Wednesday. <laughs> Uh, do you think Andy Murray could become more interesting if he started biting people? <laughs> that was Kerry. Kerry, she signed it. So she, get, she could get some credit. That's lovely. Um, no. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with uh, Wonga, says Cameron, who's from East London and describes himself as poor. For example, it's only going to cost me 790 quid to be here tonight when I pay in September. <laughs> <laughs> I hope the so-called professionals are listening to this. Comedy gold. Two big, two big rescues in Germany last week. Uh, a man trapped three and a half kilometres uh, underground and a student stuck in a giant vagina. Which do the panel feel was the better use of resources? <laughs> Wonder what Ed Miliband eating a sandwich would look like in this lighting. <laughs> do you really... Do you really? Uh, Ed Miliband, good for Labour, question mark. Well, we do have a former Labour MP on the panel, so we'll definitely be coming back to that. Uh, and what about the criminalising of cat, which is no stronger than coffee? A select committee advised it should not be banned, but conveniently it is exclusively consumed by North African immigrants. That's quite a good point. Although, of course, not anymore, not, uh, now that it's illegal. And UKIP realistically getting voted in, question mark, sad face. Don't worry. <laughs> don't, don't, seriously, I think, I think we'll all be all right. Uh, please, ladies and gentlemen, join me in welcoming back to the state. No, no, yes, our musical entertainer this evening. I don't know why. I can still read. It's only the lights have gone. It's not like I've lost the powers of literacy. But uh, <laughs> join me in welcoming back to the stage, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. James Sherwood. Nick Revel showed me where the torch is on my phone. Know <laughs> <laughs> about otherwise. Um, now this uh, this next song uh, is about uh, globalisation and local independent. Uh, it's not. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> uh, it's about the fact that one of the shops on my street uh, is well. It's about the size of one of the shops on my street. Uh, this song is called Massive Chemist. <laughs> Down our street, we've got every kind of shop. The butchers at the bottom and the bakers at the top. But best of all the rest, and the rest is quite a few, is the jewel of the high street, and I hope you've got one too. Yes, we've got a massive chemist. The place is just immense. They've got stuff to fix your stomachache and stuff to mend your fence. They've got oil for a creaky hinge or for your painful joints. Though don't take your advantage card or ask for nectar points. They've got big button telephones and 
special pills for men All sold to the constant accompaniment of Heart FM They've ornaments that when you press them play a little tune And whatever your event they have a relevant balloon Whatever you are after the chemist always has enough Cause they've got rows and rows and rows and rows and rows and rows of stuff Shampoos by the hundred just a pound for each Though the brand you would more strongly associate with bleach We've got a massive chemist It's absolutely huge They've got 12 types of mascara And 15 types of rouge They've got those little plastic boxes That you get from the Chinese And they'll help you kill your moths or wasps Or ants or flies or fleas They have every kind of sponge And an amazing range of hats And the gel for the single purpose Of repelling cats The range will blow your mind sometimes it's not till you get home that you ask yourself what the hell's a diabetic comb when you're in a massive chemist the fun just never ends they've got candles shaped like those guys in the ads for M&Ms and birthday cards feature footballers who might still be alive one seems to be Steve Perryman from 1985 there's a section full of damaged goods reduced to just a pound belts and bins and cereal are all there to be found. They've got loose seats and hair brushes that can tell the time. They've got bubble bath that's been endorsed by Optimus Prime. They do trays for your freezer that make oddly shaped ice. They sell poppers, not the drug, but the fastening device. They've got candles shaped like numbers. They've even got a naught. They sell small statues of Buddha, though I'm not quite sure they ought. Spider-Man Kinder Egg. Every type of clothes pair. Scarves and scarves. Buffer scales. Batteries. Blue Tack fake hair, coat hangers, Tupperware, incense clipboards, light bulbs, jigsaws, all kinds of crockery, refill for potpourri, children's onesies, padlocks, diaries, Vinto pots and bags, curtains, elastic bands, pill boxes, coffee cups, sellotape, driving gloves, throat sweets for your cold, wool tights, anti mold, small model meerkats, shoe polish, doormats, vases, fuses, lighters, scissors, shavers, stirrers, sweets, slippers. A massive chemist, the place is truly vast. Their candles portray the pop stars of the recent past. If you're after wrapping paper, you should surely step inside. If you brought someone a present that's about a mile wide, young people often say to me, My gosh, you had it rough. You grew up before the internet. How did you get your stuff? When they ask such stupid questions, my answer to all is. All you ever need is in a massive fucking cabin. James Sherwood, ladies and gentlemen, James Sherwood. Please join me in welcoming back to the stage Tom Levitt, Bob Mills, Ashling B, and Liam Malone. The, uh, the, the audience this evening have excelled themselves. Uh, the, the question that's come up twice involves the leader of the Labour Party, so I think, I think we'll kick off with that. And it's only fair, Tom, seeing as you were a Member of Parliament for the Labour Party until 2010, to, to, to begin with you. Um, I don't think we need... Well, someone is, is in the room tonight wondering what Ed Miliband would look like eating a sandwich in this lighting, but I don't feel it would be fair to ask anyone to speculate on that. But the question of good for Labour, and if you tie it in with the Sunday Times front page today, which I, I hope you've seen, John Crudus, who's in charge of the policy review, 
was filmed um, at a sort of semi, or recorded rather, at a semi-public meeting saying that, uh, that they haven't got a clue what they're doing and he's sort of pandering to focus groups rather than coming up with policies. It's cart and horse, isn't it? It's as if you, come, you have a vision and you sell it to the people or you ask the people what they're feeling troubled by today and try and build a cart accordingly. You, you were a Blair-era Labour politician. The party's changed quite a lot already, hasn't it, in the, in the last... Five years? I think the party always uh, responds to defeat and responds to a time in opposition. Um, I don't think they haven't got a bloody clue was quite the phrase John Crullis uh, actually used. Certainly, you can take uh, the boy off the, the tabloids. <laughs> well, <laughs> he was, uh, the recording was on the radio today, uh, and uh, I think he was a little more circumspect than You're that. You're right, he was. But he is in charge of uh, pulling together the manifesto, which involves uh, the broad church that has always been the Labour Party coming together and in some cases, cutting-edge ideas, and in some cases, good old traditional ideas that didn't work the first time, and let's try them <laughs> again. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Miliband, is, The Miliband issue, because it would be nice yeah. to have a party in opposition that is discussed almost exclusively in terms of policy and political alternatives, but, it, but it's not. It is discussed in terms of awkwardness and, 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 and geekiness. Well, I had the uh, privilege of being able to vote Miliband 1 and 2 in the leadership election, uh, last time. I won't tell you which way round. Why not? Uh, mm. <laughs> all right, I voted for David yeah. first. Uh, and, Do you think he's uh, doing a better second. job? We can't tell. We can't tell. Mm. I mean, we're, we're where we are. We're a year away from an election, and the election is going to be decided above all by the economy. Tom, you're not standing, mate. You don't no, have I know. to be all sort of... <laughs> all right, so let, let's re- sorry, put the question a different way. Do you think it's even remotely possible he could have done anything re- faintly resembling a worse job? <laughs> <laughs> There you go. There's, there's, the, there's Paxman's replacement right there. That's <laughs> I think that the, uh, the election will be close. Uh, the leadership issue will be one of the issues that's raised. It does come up on the doorstep, uh, absolutely. Uh, my memory from when Neil Kinnock was the leader was that the people who created most fuss about it and said they really didn't like him were the ones who weren't going to vote for us anyway. Mm. And that, you think, uh, I don't know if that's true of Miliband. I, 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 just in terms of Labour loyalists feeling... Now, because as, as, it's nine months tomorrow morning, actually, that Parliament will be dissolved, and exactly nine months tomorrow... That, could have had a baby in that time. We're start, we're st- <laughs> still Seems good, like sweetheart. It's like a waste now, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the, still I've good, sweetheart. Oh, I'm sorry, Paul. <laughs> <Top> man. <laughs> Not a Listen, he's now. been... He's an absolute disaster. Yes. Uh, we, I was talking about... We was, funny enough, I was... At, somewhere the other night, me and a few of the other Liberals were chatting about <laughs> <this>. <laughs> Here's the deal, right? They, they, they lose the election. This is how bad, this is how weak David Cameron is, right? He's going into election with the most hated, against the most hated government in, in a long, long time uh, in, in Gordon Brown. The people despised Gordon Brown. Uh, quite wrongly, actually, because he was the better of, of, of the two evil puppets of Brown and Blair. But uh, they despised him, and yet he still couldn't beat them. He mm. still couldn't beat Labour. He still had to go in, and get this little strange deal together with, with the Liberal Democrats. So he still couldn't beat them. So even when they were at their lowest, David Cameron still couldn't beat them. And it was as if they said, actually, we don't ever want to be in power again. <laughs> <laughs> what should we do? Because there's David Miliband. Now, David Miliband would have torn him a new one. Would have torn, honestly, I can speak from experience. We were frightened. Those of us writers were frightened of David Miliband. Because you think they put him in, right? He'll very quick within a year, no one will remember how bad Blair was and and and, and, and Gordon Brown, and he'll he'll revitalise the party, and he could he could kick us into touch. 
and they just committed political suicide and they gave it to his brother. And no disrespect to Ed Miliband, but he's a, he's a 12-year-old. <laughs> he's a child. You see him at the dispatch box with perfectly good points to make and he makes them by, like, the kid at school you didn't like. Yeah. By saying, yeah. no, 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 ha, ha, yes. And, ah, yeah, well, ha, 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 yeah, well. And, and I'm telling your mum. There's nothing worse than, at least if you're hated, there's an element of power in it. But if your main thing is, ah, God, love him. Yeah. That's a yeah. really terrible yeah. stance to be in. I was asking Tom earlier what, what was the biggest uh, change in politics, and it was social media, and how social media has changed. It's not just email, but it's a visual thing. And for the person wondering what um, Ed Miliband would look like bathed in this red light mm. eating a bacon sandwich, I think he would have looked like a really weird installment in the red light district in Amsterdam. <laughs> Just a sort of sad prostitute eating a, a sandwich he knows, uh, you know, religiously he shouldn't, just crying, going, buy me, buy me. <laughs> and it's a really sad state of affairs because he's just not cool. Like he, like oh, a, a that's, huge... That's one of the most poignant pictures but I've ever is, had painted on the panel. But he's just not... There's an element... There, on on um, Nick's yeah. favourite programme, uh, Newsnight, there was like him just trying to buy a bouquet of flowers the other night. And he went over and went to go and buy the flowers. And, and then... And, and the woman who was just one of these powerful women who works down selling things, she's like, no, they're not my flowers. Go over there and buy them off that woman. And he's like, oh, oh, oh sorry. And there was just... It's so uncool. Could it's it go? Like, could it go full circle, Ashley? Could, could could it end up being could endearing? Could it become cool like yeah. a nineteen eighties movie no, where it's like suddenly the lawnmower make... guy gets a good girl? I don't think so. Unfortunately, it can't <laughs> because it's you, you see people need to react to politics, and I know we're supposed to vote on, on party lines mm. and to some extent, but it's so much about personalities, uh, especially with younger voters. It's so much about personalities, and you just you, people look at him, Ed Miliband, and they think, oh, he's. He, I, I couldn't trust him. Not, not that I don't think he'd ever do anything bad, but he'd, he'd be, you know, people would bully him. Yeah. If he was the Prime Minister and we had to send him to... Imagine sending him to Europe. People would bully him because he's... Yeah. He's like the kids, you know, you knew you weren't allowed to pick on him because he only had one kidney. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, James, Tom. let me make a prediction. The next general election will be somewhere between a Labour majority of 10 and the Labour minority government of 10. I mean, that, that's what I feel the, the outcome but is the going to be. But the question really so it's is... really going to test uh, yes. whoever is, is, is in that position, whoever is talking to other party leaders and seeing what, what, uh, you know, how that can be taken forward and made into something stable with uh, the very few, hopefully very few, Liberal Democrats who will be left there. But I think, is it just a forlorn hope I've got that one day we might have an election that's actually based on values, it's actually based on fairness, it's actually based <laughs> on <laughs> policies? I know, I'm a dreamer. Ah, I'm a God dreamer. I love you. God love <laughs> you. Know, unfortunately, it's a forlorn hope. Medium, though. Society is a completely visual that's fascinating. thing now. Barack Obama was elected because he looks cool. He's got it not just because he looks cool, but he's got a really attractive family. He, lo- he puts on shades and is like, I make this shit look easy. Like, that was his yeah. kind of... Yeah. And there's no... Ed that, that, is just, like well, you're saying, he's bullying because no one comes out. You don't even come out and say, oh, I don't like him or I don't like his values. No. And the same on Newsnight the other night. You feel like, oh, I don't really want to say anything mean about him because I'm sure he'll take it to heart. And he's suffered he's enough. Sort of, yeah, <laughs> God love him. He's I don't know. very measly. So I don't want to say anything mean. Liam, you know? do you not see any prospect of a rehabilitation? There must be. I've, I've, I think yesterday, I can't remember where I was, but someone was uh, talking about how the geek, in, geek is cool. They said, I've seen T-shirts where it says geek and proud, and it, we're ready for Miliband to make that leap into 
but it's the discomfort in his own skin that seems mm. to be contagious. Do you, do you think there's any prospect of rehabilitation or, or, or reversal of fortunes? Um, I think there is, and largely because um, the way voting is set up at the moment, it's, um, it does favour Labour to some extent, and I think it's so narrow that he, I, think he, I think he'll get in next time. Yes, but he, he will get in despite the fact that everybody feels, as, as, as the other panellists have been describing, is it, is, there a, is it vaguely possible that the, just the charisma-free issue and the, and the discomfort that he displays, whether he feels it or not, can you see that being fixed in any way at all? Uh, no, because no. It's, it's part of his basic programme, isn't it? It's, um, yeah. I, no. I never but thought but I'd say is. this, uh, James, but John Major won an election. Yeah, but he, he was hardly the uh, He might not be cool, but at least he, he knew what he was, whereas I think there's a lot of people pushing Ed Miliband to be I, something he's not. It's kind I of like one of those... boring people identified with John Major because they actually <laughs> thought, you know, I, I, Finally, I, I, a voice. I live in a pebble-dash semi. He's one of us. Yes, and, uh, <laughs> yes that's, was, that's a very good point. Miliband isn't like anyone. No, he's that's the problem. I mean, it is, by, uh, unfortunately, and I know, and I don't want to get party political, the, Conserv- the Conservatives weren't bothered at it. When it was a hung parliament, and they thought, well, Labour and the Liberal Democrats, they're, they're trying to make a deal. Maybe we should just let them get on with it, because this country's going to hell in a handbasket. It's, it's the worst state it's ever been. Do we really want the poison chalice of government? But then it came, and they did the thing, and they took it. And they've had, for, for the last five years, all they've been able to do is make the gap bigger between richer and poorer because that's the only way you can solve the economy according to their terms. There's nothing mm. they can do. They've cut back this, they've cut back this. David Miliband would have been sitting there thinking, what do you think, 90 the majority? 90, 120, yeah, that's something the thing, like isn't that? It? And yet even his our most armed fans are thinking, uh, no, I still think Ed could scrape through. Yes, exactly. We might be a minority government, but I think that's a terrible indictment. What would you do, Bob, if you were advising him? Don't, don't just say resign. Think, think, give mm-hmm. it some, what would you do? If, I don't know. Because you were what, just going to say resign, weren't you? No, because, no. no I, I don't know what it is, and this is the terrible part of it. Because it's no good even saying to them, right, what are your core beliefs? Your core beliefs which should appeal to 60 70% of the people in this country, right? Let's try and get them across. But there is so much wrong, and it's a terrible thing. And maybe politics was better in the old days when you never saw them, you just read what they said in the newspapers. But the fact is you do see them, and I don't know what I could say that wouldn't be so unutterably rude. Yes. Because you'd have to say, could you... <laughs> Change, change the way you look. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean, the way I dress? Well, unfortunately, no. <laughs> and that's a terrible... It's, a, it's an indictment of the political system, but unfortunately, yeah. it's the way it is. And, it's and, also very... And any, any party that doesn't embrace and accept that is going to be in, in, in the dark. So, so you have to hire a... Not a rock star, although they did, I suppose, with Tony Blair, but you, you, yeah. you, you have to hire a... I didn't hear any of his albums, actually. I didn't know he did music. Well. Was it called Ugly Rumours? He yeah. was in a band Oh, yes, that's rumors. so true. Yeah. It's it's I wasn't just... I don't just throw this out there yeah. randomly. It's all very carefully researched. Speaking of, oh, yeah. it, speaking of image <laughs> changes, Ashling, do you think Andy Murray could become more interesting if he started biting people? Um, I don't know. There's another... Do you know what? There's a boring lad who knows he's boring and sticks to it and doesn't I love try him. to be Anthony. 
something else. I love him. I've always He's loved like, him. He's like, you know what? This is who I am, Grand. This is almost an impression. Thanks very much. <laughs> this is who I am. I play tennis. I'm here to... I think there was even a selfie with like a load of them in the court and you can see he's trying to smile or look cool but it just comes out as absolutely no emotion whatsoever. But not in a, but not in a <laughs> miniband way, oddly. Well, so he doesn't look but uncomfortable because the, he's happy being who he is. He's if, comfortable in his own skin. If I was, if I was Ed Middleband's PR, I'd go, let's go the Boris route. Boris embraces the fact that he's posh in a country that sort of hates posh people. Mm. And you know, you've got mm. David Cameron pretending, well, I mean, I wasn't eaten, but actually, like, we make our own bread because it's just so humble. Um, <laughs> that, uh, the humble loaf, we call it, and it costs us nothing except you know, a load of hopes and dreams, really. That's what we're doing bread. Um, but that you'd, you'd go, well, let's go the Boris thing. Go, yes, you grew up in, where was it, Holloway in, in North London. You're a bit bumbly. You don't walk right. You, you know, yeah. let's go into Topshop. Let's get you a bit giant pair of Shoreditch glasses. Let's get you one but of those jumpers. that's what I meant that says by, by celebrating like, the geek. Let's yes. celebrate this bumbly thing. But you know what? It's not about being cool. I've got these ideas, guys. Yeah. You, yeah. Do, you yeah. want to hear any more ideas? But instead, they're trying to make him like some kind of Tony Blair. You know, I mean, who's advising him that he would hold... A new sp- who would suggest yeah, but then, and then he apologises rather I, I think than it's, I think it's quite unfair picking on um, Miliband's uh, facial but that's deformities what's, that's what's when, happening when, uh, we're all forgetting that his policies are all so shite <laughs> <laughs> but we don't get to hear them to even to break them up well, well to analyse I mean them. Hollande has uh, in France has, has, has enacted a lot of them uh, pretty much to the letter and now that's the only country in Europe with, that still has negative growth do the panel think that Cameron's battle with the EU is genuine? So, Tom Levitt, what is the battle? Juncker um, gets in as president. 26-2 was the result of that vote for Cameron, single-handedly and quite remarkably making the England team look fucking brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, what was the battle? Well, it, it's a very odd battle because uh, he knew he was going to lose right from the word go. Mm. Uh, and, and when he lost Angela Merkel as an ally, then even, even more so. But I think the problem was that nobody actually really wanted Juncker's job. Uh, and, and that, you know, it's not Barroso anymore, it's going to be Juncker. I mean, how, what difference is that going to make to your lives? Not very much. Well, I've been reading up on it today in preparation for this evening. And I, I read at least 200 words, and several of them, several of them made, made the point that. Um, this makes reform even less likely. But I was reading that in the right-wing papers, so I, I, I don't know. Is that, is that not the point? It makes reform even less likely. Cameron has promised the Eurosceptics reform, but there's now a president who is not going to let them reform. So reform is now even less likely than it was before, which might be significant if you spend your whole life worrying about the EU. Well, he's going to be a president in that he'll preside over meetings. He's not yeah. going to be a president in that he will determine the policies of the European Union single-handed. And it will actually still be uh, the Prime Minister of the day and yeah. their allies across Europe who will have a very large say in, in, in how that happens. So, I mean, there has actually been some response from, uh, from other countries to Cameron sort of stroking his head saying, sorry about that, we had to stick the knife in, but actually let's talk about reform. Now, uh, I think reform is necessary, but let's talk about which reforms. You know, just changing things in order to say, I've managed to change something, let's have a referendum, which is what Cameron seems to be doing, is one thing. Yeah. But it's very important to have a debate about what reforms we want, why, and I would want to see uh, the, the European Union funds being going much more into developing communities, in, into sustainability, in, into uh, the, the environment and so on, things which are genuinely issues on a continent-wide basis. Um, and if we can get that, then yes, I mean, I'm all up for reform. Well, was it you that Jeremy Paxman was talking about? 
When he said what? Well, when he said these, these people who still think they can change the world, these people who still oh, probably, oh, still probably. Well, I thought you said I they're just a bunch of thirteen-year-olds. I mean that as a compliment. And, and Wayne, <laughs> Wayne, who asked the question, um, there was a second part to it, saying, "Is he just being a political windsock and pandering to the UKIP types?" Which is in, contained within your answer because it, it's meaningless rhetoric, which UKIP types, yeah. UKIP types absolutely love. Something I, I've, I've discovered even more about in recent weeks, um, uh, uh, culminating mm. this weekend in an astonishing tweet from a, a, a member of the party, someone who's, who's, who's run for office, saying, here you are, it was a quote from the Daily Express, a cutting from the Daily Express, you're always asking what laws it is that, that actually damage us and why we UKIPers are so keen. Here's a whole article in the Express listing the laws. And I thought, oh, good, because there's nothing more embarrassing than asking a, a UKIP supporter what law it is they really object to and then hearing mm. the silence stretch out endlessly over the horizon. <laughs> so here's an article, here's a neatly contained little article with a little Daily Express cutout and it listed them, top ten new, new laws brought in that, that show you the iron fist of Brussels punching the testicles of British people. It didn't quite put it like that but that's because they don't have very good subs on the Express anymore. The uh, <laughs> number, number one was the labelling of fruit juice is going to be changed. <laughs> Evil uh, bastards! And, and, <laughs> but this, what, what I find... Is that because of immigration, do you think? Well, yeah. that, <laughs> give it time, Ashling, give it time. Yeah. Nasty immigrants foreign bringing fruit in their orange, coming orange. over What here. else is the chance? With what their else? kumquats, <laughs> with their kumquats and their kiwi fruits. Yeah. What's wrong with a bloody gooseberry? That's <laughs> what I want to... I get sent quite a lot of this stuff, so you'll have to indulge me. See, they tried it twice with the jackfruit and failed. Now they're coming after our fruit juice. (laughs) But you see, it's funny until it's sent to you in earnest by several thousand people as part of an orchestrated campaign. Can I I just say, James? No, because I've got to tell you what was second on the list. I've got to, before I forget. Oh, no, go on, just quickly. A round of applause from everyone who saw that YouTube video or heard the broadcast of James taking apart Nigel Farage. (laughs) Ah, thank you, Tom. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you ignored my attempt to overrule and silence you. The, uh, <laughs> the second thing on this list, right and I kid you not, it's like trying to write satire about Suarez that I mentioned in the introduction. Trying to write satire about these people. The second thing on the list sent to me by an elected UKIP councillor as conclusive proof that there are laws that affect our lives, and the jackboot of Brussels is compressing our collective throats, and it is time to throw off the yoke of uh, Fourth Reich oppression. Well, was the live transport of ferrets. <laughs> that, oh, I'm angry about that. that and cats and dogs, but ferrets got a special, specific mention. The way that ferrets are... Tra- it's too easy to transport ferrets across Europe without proper concern for their own ferrety health and safety. And, <laughs> and then you look at the mainstream political parties and wonder why they're failing to engage with these people. And that, that is the political conundrum for our times, I feel. I feel really guilty about it, though, because every time, as the only immigrant on the panel, every time I go home, I do bring a big bag of English ferrets home. <laughs> and then my family, and it does us for a week in terms of ferreting. Actually, but, yeah, I read you're the sure article. they haven't given you stoats? <laughs> oh, I'd hope not. They, they, they very often oh, silly Paddy, you brought stoats home and <laughs> <of> ferrets. <laughs> Duh. 
<laughs> I, I read I read the article twice. I think you're all right unless you start juicing the ferrets, and then you're in a, then you're in a whole world of trouble. But is it ferret juice or is it ferret juice drink? <laughs> not concentrated. If it's yeah. made from concentrated ferrets, it's not as it's not it's not as good for you as. Uh, Who could focus on one thing for a time? Fresh ferrets. It's a great (laughs) phrase there. It's the name of my new band, I think. Um, (laughs) We should squeeze in a couple more things uh, before close of play today. And I'll I'll draw your attention next to the issue of sugar. We've talked about juice. And the front page of the Daily Mail that that, that ordered uh, families to put a jug of water on the dinner table and stop feeding your kids fruit juice. Now, at first glance, I grant you, that looks like absurd nanny statism. It looks like absurd hand-holding. But actually... I think we probably have, without realising, arrived at a point in, in society where people need to be told that water is good for them and for their children. And, and you can say this is ridiculous, it's compromising freedom of choice until you're blue in the face, but I, I, do you actually have freedom of choice? If they're spending 20 billion, zillion, gazillion pounds encouraging you to drink Sunny Delight, which isn't even fruit juice, but... but you see my point, the marketing that goes into even proper orange juice. Is it a free choice, Liam, if they're not paying a similar amount of money on reminding you that tap water is better for you than anything else you can possibly put in your mouth? Is it, sorry, is it, is free it a choice free before? choice? Because I know you describe yourself as a libertarian on your, um, on your biography, so the freedom of choice issue <laughs> is, is, is what well, you do, I think, don't you? Sometimes, yes. yes well, about, well, you are now. Unless it's related uh, <laughs> gambling. But is it, a free, is, it, is it freedom of choice if they're spending millions of pounds encouraging you to drink something that's bad for you and no money at all encouraging you to drink something that's good for you? Just because you know, or some people know that what's good for you is good for you. Well, is it, it, you've got to allow people the freedom to be stupid, haven't you? It, it, back in 2002... The Labour government was spending £1 million a week telling us not to eat salt and not to eat too much fat. And it's, it's, it, it bollocks, frankly. I think, but I, I but, don't but know how I, much money was being spent on telling us to eat salt and to it, eat fat? It, Compare it, that million pounds a week to the combined budget of, well, I, I was going to say Saxa for the salt gap, but obviously it's McDonald's, <laughs> it's Tate and Lyle, it's Saxa, it's Coca-Cola, it's Pepsi-Cola, it's Burger King, it's KFC. Do you honestly think that the million pounds the Labour Party spent was wasted? Because if it was, what the fuck are that lot spending all that money on? So I, just don't, I just don't think there is any reason for spending public money on telling people what to eat or what but to e- drink. Even when epic just, amounts oh, of I private money... I couldn't disagree know. more. I That's absolutely couldn't disagree more. God, we've got to disagree Yeah, finally. <laughs> As a, but I, I really couldn't disagree more. I think that we, in, in hindsight, in years from now, will look at the amount of money that has been spent. Yes. By, food is, is legal cocaine, and a lot of stuff they put into food is unbelievably addictive, and it's sold to a lot of the poorest communities. Well, that's interesting, uh, because I think what is wrong is, is the food production system because it, I, 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 when I remember my main memory from being on the dole is you get your 60 quid and you think well should I make a list like some sort of mm-hmm. anal maniac about what, what I, I caught that video what, what, yeah uh, <laughs> shit did I say that out loud <laughs> what, what, 1 through 15 uh, uh, or, or, or should I just go to the fried chicken shop where it's, it's yeah. £1.99 for two pieces of chicken chips and a, and a fizzy drink yeah. and you do that because you didn't have to think and that, the reason for that is just that, you know, chicken is basically worthless now. 
But that's 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 where that's where the government really has to step in because food is absolutely the thing that motivates most people in countries around the world. It's what makes people move. It's what makes people go from one place to the other. That once you run out of food, a place is down the gutter basically. And I think if the government can step in and try to make small changes in people's lives, where especially with something like tap water where it is free, that sugar was put, especially corn syrup, Mm. was put into foods as a preservative during the Nixon years because America was finding it hard to produce enough sugar and they had these fields of corn and so out of that you could make corn syrup which could feed a poverty stricken nation but you weren't really feeding people any vitamins and it's better than being hungry I watched quite an interesting thing which was about the idea of sitting down as a family and you can't society's changed a lot so there used to be an idea of having time to sit down and have a breakfast and then everyone would go to work and this sort of 20-30 minutes was very important Mm. and then cereal came in so you didn't have to cook any breakfast it was 15 minutes maybe 10 minutes you got your cereal you poured milk in it now breakfast is 10 minutes we don't have time anymore we don't have time then about 10 years ago they introduced cereal breakfast bars which are pretty much like a Kit Kat eating a Kit Kat they're not good for you they're absolutely full of sugar it's pretty much sugar and now you don't even have two minutes to sit down and have breakfast and it's making you think and there was an advertising campaign that Nutrigrain had of a man legging to the bus just managing to grab the bus fixing his tie thank god he's time for breakfast he's got a Nutrigrain and it's changing how families and society think we've less time we've less time we've less time and it changes things culturally of course you can advertising does engineer society but also to take your own example wouldn't it have been healthy or helpful to have somebody whether you were aware of it already or not the existence of people who aren't aware of it is unchallengeable saying that chicken you're thinking of buying for £1.90 is really bloody bad for you and that, that, that is the simple million pounds that you were so unhappy about, while actually you were a victim of the ignorance that it needed that expenditure in but the yeah, first place. Yeah, but the point is, it was... Down you weren't expecting this. responsibility <laughs> was on me. Stop eating so much fucking chicken. Well, the, the, yeah, but the, not the if you know. The education isn't out idiots. there. The well, education is not, you, not out there. And education Because of the money that's been spent match. on persuading you to do the oh, wrong thing. Bob Mills! I know the manager of Chicken Cottage, and he did not have any money to spend on advertising. You're so well connected. Just pull that. Just an interesting thing. Do you really believe there's anyone who doesn't know it's shit? Yes. Oh, think about it, Bob. Exactly. I'll tell you who doesn't know it's shit. The 19-year-old mum with her kid in a, in, a, in a push chair walking up the street hearing vague whispers that this is bad for you and then she looks around and thinks there's 17 between here and Poundland. Yeah. How can it be bad for me? There's so much of it and there's so much energy and expenditure and effort being put into telling me to buy it. I hear these do-gooders on the bloody telly and on the radio and on the occasional comedy panel show saying it's really, really bad for you. You're actually poisoning your children. But how can I be? If it's poisonous, how can it be so readily available how can it be there on the telly every time I turn my telly on? How can it be there on every billboard, every fucking bus stop? How can it be bad for me if everybody says it's bloody marvellous? And he even dresses up as a clown to sell it to me and my children. There's your answer, Bob. And that, I think... Can I just... Well, then, maybe... Hang on. James, Tom deci- decisions okay. about... What, how individuals choose to eat do have consequences for us all. There's a lot of debate today about, about the health service, and it's all about the, the supply of the health service. Is there enough money to pay for that? Is there enough money for this? How can we get the money to pay for the other? But actually, we ought to be managing the demand that's made on the health service. And the two biggest growing areas of extra demand on the health service, other than old age generally, are obesity and diabetes, the long-term food-related conditions. There's your answer, Bob. Do these people really not know it's bad for them? Well, I, n- not until just... they get to hospital. Can I, I just make a quick point? And that's it. Um, Go on, then. Several st- 
Nice. Uh, <laughs> several, several studies have shown that actually children are not eating any more sugar now than they were in the 1970s. The difference oh, was... The difference That's was... Can you, can you remember how much sweets we used to eat in the 70s? Yeah, but we ran around a lot, which is that what you're is about exactly to say. It. Mm. Yes. That is exactly it. In the 70s, Okay, kids when did they invite king-size Mars bars? What was that? When did they invent king-size Mars bars? Um, it, I think it was 90... It was just after the Falklands War. So there you go. <laughs> Do you think it was as a result of the, the nation? Well, well, the point is encouraging Giving us to put, What about a bag of crisps? When you were a kid, you buy a bag of crisps. It would be the size about that big, right? Now you try and buy a bag of crisps like that. You can only buy them by the sack load. Walk down any aisle in America and you want to buy a bag of crisps, like one-person lunchbox size. You can't. You can only buy a sack full of the stuff. So you might... You, you, you can quote... Whatever you want. This is not fair, Liam. You didn't come here to become a defender no, of, the, of the food. In, well, you, we are being encouraged you, always. You, you go to Mussolini go, from the statist go, balcony. Go to Dairy it's Queen. Fine. Go to go, go to these. On. But why do you think the markup on something like a shake or going supersized, the markup in what it costs you, is almost all profit? Because by the time they've made it and delivered it and got it into the shop, if you're having a, like a quarter litre of ice cream in Dairy Queen at Bangkok Airport, this is where I had my revelation. And because my daughter said to me, um, she said, Daddy, who's this woman revelation and why are you bringing her home to London? <laughs> <laughs> my, daughter, my daughter said she looked at the prices, she was doing numbers at school, and she said, how can that enormous one only be a few cents more than the tiny? It goes up in five sizes. And I, and I realised what the answer was. The answer was it costs them fucking nothing to make it. So the more stack. they can get you, the more, it's corn corn syrup. Syrup. The more they can get you to put down your neck, the more money they make. And as well as that, it costs nothing to store it. No, well, I because guess. it doesn't go off. Because anyway, that's the, I think that's the big story of the next 10 years, food. I, I, we'll find out whether or not there's, there's any truth in that at all. Um, final question for the panel. In the light of the furore in North Korea this week about the new Seth Rogen film in which his character plots to assassinate Kim Jong-un, mm -hmm. uh, which world leader, Bob Mills, would you most like to assassinate and or make a movie about? I wouldn't like to assassinate anyone at all because it's a terrible thing to even begin to think about, Mr. Putin. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to make a film about him, but Mr. Putin, because I think he's like some kind of demigod. Yeah. I think he's fantastic. He looks like Bruce Willis. He rides a horse like John Frankham. If he wants another country, he just goes and gets it. He wakes up in the morning and thinks, you know all that stuff about splitting it up? I think that was bollocks. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, any Scots people, you try that shit with Putin, right? <laughs> it's a thought, it's a thought. Tom Levitt, who I should mention, has a, has a book out now, Welcome to Good Co, using the tools of business to create public good, and it involves uh, attempts, actually, to, to marry the two positions that Liam and I have just been affectionately exploring together, where you would take <laughs> some of the lessons of, of, of business and capitalism, but actually... Um, try to turn them to the public good. Who would you like to kill, Tom Levitt? Uh, well. <laughs> Who would you like to kill, Tom? Uh, uh, merely pausing to point out that 60 of the world's 100 biggest economies are corporates, not countries. That's why it's so important. Really? To get, indeed. Wow. That's why it's so important to get them on board in terms of fighting climate change, global poverty, food supply, and everything else. The answer is very much the, the same reasoning as, as Bob, uh, why I came up with Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> because uh, a world leader. he's not a world leader. Well, I suppose he, he is in he a way. Is. Yes, he is. He is. He is. And uh, you know, in his uh, advocacy of petrol headism uh, and the fact that he lives in Chipping Norton, mm. that's quite a quite a combination. Very uncontroversial suggestion there. Surprisingly <laughs> enough, Ashling B, a world leader, assassinate or make movie. Uh, I would like to make a movie about assassinating uh, the president of Canada. 
because most of the movie would be finding out who that is. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, and, and Liam, finally, Liam. Um, I, I don't think I'd assassinate any... I'd, I'd choose the wrong person, <laughs> probably. Uh, but I, there's uh, a lot... There's other stuff to do with Kim Jong... Um, and, and, and films, isn't there? Because he had his uh, um, mistress machine gunned yes. for being in a porn film. Um, and I thought, that's horrible. Uh, but, but at the same time, I sort of thought, well, he's just kind of... Without giving too much away, I, I, in 2001, I was going out with a, 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 a lady who had been in a porn film, and she made me throw all my porn away because she said, uh, I, you should have some respect for me. I, I did this. It was awful. I hate myself. Just throw your porn away because uh, I hate porn. And I said, yeah, I hate porn as well. <laughs> and then I thought, um, I'm not really ready to hate porn. Yet, and, and I thought there's, there's, there's aspects of your personality that make me think you probably wanted to make that porn film. Uh, the, 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 largely the way she kept saying, let's watch some porn. Oh, no, we've thrown it all away, haven't we? Uh, <laughs> uh, and I thought, you know, did, did you really feel like that? Do you want to make another film? No, no, obviously we don't. We don't want to do that because we hate porn. I hate porn. Everyone, we all hate porn. And, it's, it's when, and, 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 and I thought, I hate the people who made you be in a porn film, if that happened. I hate those people. I want to. I want to get revenge for you on those people uh, who. What, what happened in this film? Don't tell me. I don't want to ha- know what happened in the film. But really, did this happen? It was. It was a horrible time, and it never occurred to me, even once, that I could just machine gun her and everyone that she'd ever known, and the whole problem would have just gone away. Uh, uh, you could have sat there eating your chicken. <laughs> in peace. Sorry, has anyone else ever heard a more unsatisfactory use of the phrase, not to give too much away? (laughs) (laughs) And that, that, on that, on that note. You you should meet her, Bob, you'd like her. Ladies and gentlemen, please thank the panel, Tom Levitt, Bob Mills, Ashley and Ben Liam Malone. And, um... That, that is it for, for the summer. We'll be back in autumn. In the meantime, could I suggest uh, once again that you catch Nick Revel at the Edinburgh Fringe for all of August and Alistair Barry will be at the Phoenix Fringe for one night only on the 9th of August. We will see you back here in September where many of you will be thrilled to realise that the new football season will be in full swing. James Sherwood, particularly exceptional tonight. I'm James O'Brien. This has been no pressure to be funny. Thank you and good night. Yay!